Thank you, Matt, for all you do for our ministry, and uh, especially as we hold, hold out the word of life uh, to our children. What a great privilege we have to do that. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, the game show, I think it's like the $20,000 Pyramid, and uh, you, you know part of the premise of the show is you give one-word clues. Who here is familiar with that? So, okay, game show people. You give one-word clues, and you got to get them to say a certain thing. And so let's play that this morning. I'm going to give you one-word clues. Let's see how you do. You don't have to shout it out, but you know, we'll just see how you do. And so um, here, here are the words, and, and you try to figure out what's going on here. Actualizers, fulfillers, believers, achievers, strivers, experiencers, makers, and strugglers. Those are words that describe, according to this one article, lifestyles. And it's unique to definitions. Actualizers are those who enjoy the finer things. They're receptive to new products, technologies. They're frequent readers of a wide variety of publications. There's the fulfillers. Little interest in larger prestige. They're above average consumers of products for the home, and they read widely and often. Believers, they buy American. Slow to change habits, they look for bargains. They seem to read retirement, home, and garden publications. Achievers, they're attracted to premium products. Prime target for a variety of products, they read business, news, self-help publications. Then there's the strivers, they're image conscious. They have limited discretionary incomes, but they carry credit balances. They prefer TV to reading. Experiencers, they follow fashion and fads. They spend much of disposable income, income on socializing. They don't read, they just listen to rock music, okay? Then there's the makers. They shop for comfort, durability, and value. They're unimpressed by luxuries. They read auto, home mechanics, fishing, and outdoor magazines. Then there's the strugglers. We're told that they brand loyal. They use coupons, they watch for sales. They read tabloids and women's magazines often. Lifestyles. The problem is they forgot one. And they forgot the most important one. And that is a lifestyle of generosity. What does it mean to live generously? What does that look like? Well, first, it'd be good to define the word generous. One dictionary says, defines generous this way it's showing a readiness to give more of something as money, time than is strictly necessary or expected. It could mean larger, more plentiful than is expected. Some of the synonyms, liberal, lavish, magnanimous, I love that word, open-handed, free-handed. If you took those definitions, put it together, it tells us generous people are the ones who give more than is expected of them. In other words, if they have people over, it's generous to tell them, I'll take the couch, you take the bed. It's more than expected. It's a small way. But generous people have that type of lifestyle. It's the way they live 24-7. Now, authors Lemieux and Rainier, two different authors, but they kind of agree on several things. One of them is there's marks of living generously. Here's what they say. Those who live generously give without expecting in return, which we just talked about. They're optimistic. They have a vision of how their giving will help. There's great trust. They trust where they give that God will use it. 
they're satisfied. The only thing they're not satisfied is the amount they give. Want they, they want to give. They want to be generous more often with their time and with their resources. Those who live generously say yes more than they say no. They ask, what can I do for you often? And they mean it. There's a lack of attachments to possessions. And finally, they're energetic. Giving seems to energize them. It's interesting to me that we see many of those marks in Scripture. These marks of generosity. Because I believe God designed us to be generous. Now I want you not to think, when we think generous, often the first thing that might come into your mind is money. Now, don't, don't think that. First think your time, your talents, the gifts God's given you, and certainly money and resources, but it's more than just that. We're called to have a generous lifestyle and all those things. What are the marks biblically? I find some, and we find them surprisingly maybe in the book of Exodus. And so we're going to look at a couple of verses starting in chapter 25. Generous living, living generously has some marks to it. Now, and what we do pick up in Exodus 25 is God's giving directions to building a tabernacle. Israel had just been out of slavery from Egypt only a few months at this point. Yet the Lord asked them to make a contribution to help build a tabernacle, which would be a sign, which would be a focus of God's people of worship, that this is what they were created for. Whenever they'd see the tabernacle, it would be a reminder and a focal point for them and say, here's why we are created as God's chosen people, to worship him. And so God initiates this process, again, just months after they'd be released from slavery. Now notice the stipulation in chapter 25. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me from every man whose heart moves him. You shall raise my contribution. The stipulation was to be a free will offering. This wasn't a command. God says, take a contribution from every man whose heart has been moved. And that's the first mark of, gen of a generous lifestyle, is one of willingness. There's a, there's a mark of willingness. They see opportunities, and they're willing to give. We also see it in later in chapter 35, verse 5. We have on the forefront in 25 the directions to build this tabernacle. By the time we get to chapter 35, they've already preparing and they're, they're starting to build and construct the tabernacle. And so we have in 25 directions, and then we have the actual project beginning. In chapter 35, 5, we read this. Moses says, take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Notice this. Who is ever of a willing heart, and let him bring it as the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, silver. And bronze. And so there's a call to willingness and there's a the response to willingness. People just came because they were willing. God had already given the Ten Commandments. He didn't command them here to give. He said, Every man's heart who's moved, who's willing to give that way. And often when we think of giving, we need to realize that there's there's initiation that takes place. Um, there, there's things that that basically invite us to give or to serve, whatever it would be. And God's people respond with a willing heart. We follow an important model here, an important principle. Our gifts should be sacrificial, our service should be sacrificial, but it really needs to be freely given. There needs to be a willingness 
is if there's not a willingness, we give under compulsion or grudgingly. That's not a heart that pleases God. God wants us to give willingly. And so that's one of the marks of generosity is a willingness to give and to serve, not grudgingly, reluctantly, or under compulsion, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. We don't want anyone to give unwillingly. We don't want anyone to serve unwillingly. We shouldn't want to serve unwillingly, but with hearts filled with gratitude, openness to God's leading. And again, it's important, whether it's time, your talents, your gifts, or resources. Now, also notice here, willingness is not waiting for the perfect conditions. Not everything's perfect with Israel right now. And I'll talk a little bit about this later. And sometimes we need to think of that too. When a neighbor, a clean, we don't need to think in terms, well, that neighbor cleans up their act, then I'll be generous to them. Maybe when conditions are perfect, my schedule slowed down, well, then maybe I'll be generous. Or when a church is perfect or has an absence of problems, then, then maybe I'll think about giving. That's not willingness. And that's not what God calls us. He calls us to have a willing heart. Now, some might justify that, but the problem is it's just not biblical. God calls you and I to have a willing heart. 2 Corinthians 8.8, Paul speaks of a special offering that's to be taken for the poor in Jerusalem. And he says concerning this offering this, I speak not by way of command. Paul was saying, listen, this is just to be a willingness in your heart. If God stirs within you, and you're willing to give, give, give freely. I stopped and asked myself, what, what happens, what's going on inside those times that there's a, a grudging or a hesitancy to give? And I need to look inside and say, what is it? What's going on inside? It's kind of a flag. It's not that we would give all the time to everything, but I think it's a question we ask, why is there a, a hesitancy? Why why is there something within me that seems begrudging? Why is my heart not in it? And maybe we'll look inside and say, things are okay. God just hasn't moved and stirred my heart in this situation. That's okay. But at least we've taken the time to evaluate our heart. Now, God gives the remedy here if we tend to approach giving by being begrudging. Now, some people, this, this is a different philosophy, some people say, well, my heart's not in it, and so I don't want to give, and just that's kind of the way they live their life. I'm kind of on the, the one who says, you know what, if you don't feel like giving, give, and then you'll feel like it. It's like something about giving energizes us. Something about giving takes our eyes off ourselves and on other people, whether it's serving, using our gifts, whatever the uh, dynamic would be. And so one of the marks of a generous lifestyle is willingness, but there's another mark, and that's a mark of cheerfulness. Now go to chapter 35, or stay there if you were just there when I read it. And again, the context here is preparation for and construction of the tabernacle, which God talked about and gave instructions for in chapter 25. I want you to follow along verse 20 through 29. Exodus chapter 35, verse 20 through 29. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel departed from Moses' presence, and everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him came and brought the Lord's contribution for the work of the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. Then all whose hearts moved them, both men and women, came and brought um, brooches and earrings and articles of gold. So did every man who presented an offering of gold to the Lord. 
And every man who had in his possession blue and purple and scarlet material and fine linen and goat's hair and ram skins dyed red and, and porpoise skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver and bronze brought the Lord's contribution. And every man who had in his possession acacia wood for any work of the Lord brought it. And all the skilled women spun with their hands and brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet material and in fine linen. And all the women whose hearts stirred with a skill spun the goat's hair. And the rulers brought the onyx stones and the stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastpiece and the spice and the oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. And the Israelites, all the men and women whose heart moved them to bring material for the work which the Lord had commanded through Moses to be done brought a freewill offering to the Lord. We see how people responded to this call. They gave willing gifts. Notice the repetition over and over. Did you pick it up? Willing, freely, people's hearts were moved. People's hearts were stirred. God was doing something. He was moving their heart. And they not only gave willfully, they gave cheerfully. They were glad to have that opportunity. Willingness of the people to give was special, special mention. It's almost as if those who started to give encouraged the rest of the people to give, who gave and gave, and it just kind of that mindset began to spread. It brought a great cheer, a great excitement. And what we see happening in Exodus must have been similar to what we read about hundreds of years later when it was time to build a temple for the Lord. 1 Corinthians 29.9 tells us the atmosphere at that time. It says, Then the people rejoiced because they'd offered so willingly, for they made their offering to the Lord with a whole heart. Notice the attitude. One of joy. I, I, I sense there's a mindset here that says, I get to give. This is exciting. God's letting me be a part of what he's doing. He's building a temple, and I rejoice. I get to give to this. I get to be a part of what God is doing. How can there not be joy in that? And so if your life is downcast, if you're finding yourself in a mire of negativity and discouragement, ask God to stir your heart towards a generous lifestyle. You'll begin to see your eyes taken off yourself and some of your problems, although the problems are real and struggles are real. I'm not denying that. But God allows us to take our focus off ourselves when we begin to give and be cheerful in it. There's a book I've read, and I'll talk a little bit more about this lady called The Money Challenge by Art Rainier. He tells a little about a little study. He says, in an experiment, adults rated their happiness level in the morning. They were then handed an envelope containing either $5 or $20. The recipients of the envelopes were given one of two instructions for the day. Instructions to spend the money on themselves or instructions to spend it on others. Each of the adults did as they were instructed. Later that evening, the envelope recipients were given a call and asked once again to rate their happiness level. The result, those who spent their money on others were happier than those who spent it on themselves. Elizabeth Dunn's study tells us something. God brings a joy and a cheerfulness in our life when we give. And a generous lifestyle is marked by cheerfulness. It's also marked by enthusiasm. You see, Israel had left Egypt out of slavery. Understand that. For all those years in slavery, they owned nothing. They had nothing. 
But all of a sudden they leave and they're set free from that bondage and God gives them wealth and the Egyptians paid the tab. God works sometimes. And so they become wealthy for the first time probably in their life. Now they got wealth. They got resources they never had before. And so God blesses them with this. And finally with riches, you would think they wouldn't be so willing to give it away so quick. I mean, after all, they finally got something. And maybe that experience you had, you finally got a job that paid you something that allowed you to kind of have a little breathing room. And uh, there's, there's a sense that we've like, oh, finally, a settledness. And, and you would think that the Israelites would have had that, but that wasn't the case. We're told they gave liberally, joyfully, enthusiastically to their God. Back to chapter 25, when God gave the instructions, we read in verse 22, Exodus 25, I'm sorry, 35, I should write it the right one down. 35.22, we read this, Then all those whose hearts moved them, both men and women, came and brought brooches and earrings and signet rings, bracelets, all articles of gold. So did every man who presented an offering of gold to the Lord. They gave joyfully, enthusiastically. There was great abundance given as people joined together for what God was doing. History shows us that Christians who did the most for their present world were those who focused on the next generation and the world beyond eternity. And that's a good lesson from history. Those who live just focused on the present moment not only don't have a happiness in the moment, but they lose opportunities to invest in the moments beyond them. And thank God for those Christians in our lives who thought more of eternity than the moment as they invested their lives in us. Now, many of the gifts we read about in Exodus 35 were quite valuable. So excited were they to give, they gave the best, and it became contagious. You don't believe me? Look at chapter 36, 3 through 6. You can't tell me there's not excitement here. And they received from Moses all the contributions which the sons of Israel had brought. There's some of those who kind of accepted them and counted, and they, they took all these things given, and they reported to Moses... And so they come to Moses, all the contributions which the sons of Israel had brought to perform the work and the construction of the sanctuary. And they still continued bringing to him free will offerings every morning. They keep bringing more and more. And all the skillful men who were performing all the works of the sanctuary came, each from the work which he was performing. They said to Moses, the people are bringing much more than enough for the construction work which the Lord commanded us to perform. So Moses issued a command, and I don't think there's ever another one like this in all of Scripture. A proclamation was circulated throughout the camp saying, let neither man nor woman any longer perform work for the contributions of the sanctuary. Thus the people were restrained from bringing any more. That's a pretty cool account. I mean, God's people gave morning after morning after morning, and finally said, whoa, stop for a moment. Let's catch our breath. You're bringing more than enough. That's pretty cool. There's a lot of enthusiasm here as people respond. God stirred their hearts, moved them, and they gave, and they gave, and they gave. Great enthusiasm. Elam has a great legacy, an impactful ministry. It has and does to this day. We each have a part in doing something, using our gifts, our service, our talents, that will have a lasting significance in our community. 
We have the privilege to hold out the gospel. Might we do it generously? We get to demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ. Might we do that generously? We get to be a light to future generations. Might we do that generously? We have so many opportunities as a church to bless our community, to give to our community, to build into the lives of people. May we do it generously. There's two groups, I think, that find a challenge when there's a challenge to serve and give. There's two camps, maybe you should say. Maybe this is simplistic, but it's the way I look at it. I think there's some who look for ways to give. I mean, it's their life. Their antenna is always up. How can I bless somebody? How can I give? Then I think there's some, unfortunately, in a camp that look for ways not to give. When an opportunity comes, there's like, well, I got this. I got this. And so I think that's one of the keys of these verses, that God stirred the hearts of the people. He moved them. God worked in such a way, he moved them out of one camp to another, that they were quick to give, free to give. Might we say that you might have a temptation here, and we're not going to take time to read this, but there might be a temptation to say, but that's fine for Israel to give that way, because they had it all together. I mean, they, they had it going on. I mean, they were building all this, and, and all the people were giving, and so there's a temptation to think. Read chapter 32 and 33. This is on the heels of worshiping a golden calf. This, these people did not have it all together. There were struggles among them. But God got a hold of them. Moses had to intercede for them in a big way. God was gracious once again, once again to forgive them. And they responded. And that's kind of sometimes we got to remember there's, there's reasons not to give, but we need to evaluate whether they're legitimate. There's reasons not to serve. There's reasons we come up with maybe not to share our life. And maybe one of them is, I don't have it all together. As a church, we don't have it all together. But since when has the church had it all together? Throughout, down through the histories, we realize the church has always struggled. You look at our life, when have we had it all together? Very few times in our life could we say our life has been without any struggle. If you can say that, then you're probably an elite group. Um, I know I can't say that. And so Israel didn't have it all together. My personal passion is going to come out here a little bit. It, I had resolved some time ago, and uh, lest you think it's easy, I think I've had to resolve it often and continue to to this day. And that is this. I will not let Satan, I will not let the demonic realm, I will not let obstacles, conflict, people, cancer stop me from giving my life all for the kingdom. It's not going to happen. And I trust I'm not alone. That we have one shot at this life God's called us to live, however many years that would be. I'm not going to be sidetracked. I'm not called to the sidelines, but to stay on the field where the action is. I'm called to be faithful unto death. I'm called to press on. And I will not stop carrying out my call. And God does something remarkable in me. And it's only a God thing that can do that. When I stay committed to these things, he gives me hope. He gives me energy. He gives me enthusiasm for his work. And it's to his glory that I get to do this. I get to serve. I get to give. I get to use whatever gifts God has given me. No holding back. And it's all because God has done these things in my life. But it takes a resolve, and it takes a regular resolve to live that way, to live open-handed. To be frankly honest, it's almost a pilgrim mentality to live that way, that this, this world is not the end. 
there's something ahead. There's future generations, and then there's all of eternity. Israel models for us a life that's marked by enthusiasm, as a generous lifestyle is. They also show us another mark of living generously and one of responsiveness. Ultimately, the response to live a life modeled is given to us by Jesus. We're told Jesus is rich in mercy. We're told Jesus lavished his love upon us. What's that mean? Simply put, Jesus is the ultimate example of giving. Jesus is the ultimate example of generosity. He gives beyond measure. How do we measure what Christ has done for us? In response to the prompting of the Spirit of God in the Old Testament, there's a number of times in the Old Testament, we read of God stirring the hearts of his people to build, like we've just read. But there's another reference to this. It's in a little book in the back of the Old Testament called Haggai, chapter 1, verse 14. Now before I read the verse, it would help to get a little background here. People had returned, God's people from captivity. They laid the foundation of the temple. They'd come back. God had once again blessed them, released them from captivity. They came back. They said, hey, we gotta, we got to lay this foundation because we need to get our focus off ourselves onto worshiping the one true God. But for 15 years, they did nothing else. There the foundation sat. They did nothing about rebuilding the house of worship. Why? Well, let's look at verse 14 and see what happened. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. You see what the challenge and what the, I guess the reproof given to God's people is that when they came back, while they laid the foundation, they kind of set it aside and went and built their own homes. And the prophet reproves them and saying, not only did you build your old homes, you built some nice ones. I mean, you got a nice little community going here, subdivision, good-looking homes. But what about the temple? I mean, that was supposed to be your focus, worshiping the one true God, and they didn't do that. Well, the people responded to the prophet. They obeyed the voice of the Lord, and they started to build the house. But look at how the people responded. The spirit of the remnant of the people and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts. Once again, you see God moving among his people. But the people responded to it. It's one thing to have God stirring your hearts. another thing to respond to it. And a lifestyle of generosity is responsive to what God does. And I pray in our life and in our church, we see a work of God in the hearts of us here that would only mark what God is doing. That what God does here will be so clearly the work of God through his people, in his people, that he alone will be praised and glorified. There would be no rationale or reason from our lifestyle and the way we live and serve except God at work in us. Wouldn't it be great if our lives were lived with that clarity? And may that happen. And in Exodus chapter 25 and 35, although God could have provided everything for the tabernacle, he chose to involve all the people of Israel in donating the materials needed. That Everybody was invited. Young and old, rich and poor, no matter what lifestyle, no matter where they live, they're all invited. And they responded to God's invitation. That's what it was. God didn't command them. He invited them. And they were a responsive people. They responded. You see, God stirs 
and people respond. That's a mark of living generously. I wonder how many opportunities I've missed because I didn't respond. I, it's a sad thought for me. I wonder how times, many times opportunities we miss because we weren't focused or for whatever reason we didn't respond. And I wonder if you and I can authentically be open, God's, be open to God stirring our hearts to give with no preconceived thoughts, no preconceived obstacles, but just say, God, here's an opportunity to serve. Here's an opportunity to use my gifts. Here's an opportunity to give. I come with you a clean slate. Stir me. Stir me. If you're like me, sometimes it's easy to get in my mind before I ask the question. I kind of see an obstacle here. Man, I wish it was organized a little different. And so there's some of those thoughts that some of you are smiling. You get it. Um, where you got to come before God and say, remove even those, those mindsets, some case strongholds, and say, God, just give me a clean slate. Stir my heart towards what you're doing. Stir my heart to give and to serve in areas you would call me to. And really, when it comes down to it, a generous lifestyle is marked by faith. Because when there's willingness, cheerfulness, enthusiasm, responsiveness, you can be confident there's belief, there's faith. Even for the unsaved, there's a belief. They believe that their giving will somehow make the world a better place. It's, not, it's misplaced faith, but there's some element of it. But not for the believer. We have a whole different kind of faith. We believe that we trust God that whatever we give, wherever we serve, however we use our gifts, he'll use it for his glory. And God knew he would be calling on his people to build the tabernacle with gold furnishings and the other instructions he gave. So he provided the means to accomplish it. Why? So they could be a part of what he was doing and they could respond in faith. They could take steps of faith. They could be stretched in their walk with God. And often we can think our supply is exhausted. We forget the provision of God is so great. So if God leads you and I to live, to give, to serve generously, which is pretty consistently where he leads us, we can be sure the will that along with that, God will supply all that we need, whether it be energy or resources. When we live generously with our talents, time, gifts, don't we believe that God will use them to impact lives for the kingdom? Why would we do that then? As a Christian, that's why we invest. What if we don't, though? We should step back and say, why? And make sure it's of God. Make sure the reasons are of God, not of our flesh or not of any other reason. So if we can start with a clean slate for whatever it would be, serving in a ministry, starting a small group, uh, using our gifts maybe to help with a women's ministry or, or an oasis, can we start with a clean slate and say, God, stir my heart? Wherever that would be, however that would be. And so I challenge you to a clean slate. I know it's not easy. But I think that would honor God and allow you and I to give in a way which would develop this type of lifestyle. Because living generously is a lifestyle pleasing to God. It's an impacting way to live. Whether you've never thought of, maybe lived this way for years, whether, where, wherever we are at, we can all seek a more generous lifestyle. And we can all learn to seek, to learn, or we can all learn and grow together of how to develop this life. That's one of the things we're going to do. You have as our next step, 
on the bottom, you're like, oh, man, well, I'm supposed to read chapters one of four or what? Well, it's this book. Maybe you saw it on the way in. If you came in the back, you might not know about this. Um, this is a, our next step for the next three weeks. It's a really good, easy read, kind of in a story form, which I kind of like that when you kind of get a story to follow along. And so this is our next step. The books are out there, one per family free, and you can't beat that, and, uh, and grab one. And so for this first next step, uh, we're going to read chapters one through four, okay? Again, it's an easy read, won't take you long. It'd be a great thing to read as a family. I mean, children will be able to follow along, no problem. Maybe pass the book around and have everybody read it. And so make sure you grab one on the way out. They're in the foyer um, by that entrance out there. And make sure you grab one and read it. And so our next step, again, for next week is chapters 1 through 4. Okay? So that's our next step. So let's wrap this up with three keys here. How to live a generous lifestyle. One, we need to recognize our resources. God has blessed us. God has been generous to us with our gifts, with our talents, with our resources, with our monies. We need to recognize our resources. If not, we, we forget to live a life of gratitude. We are to be grateful in all things. Whether you're young or old, maybe as a child, you don't think much of it, but you got a roof over your head. you got clothes. In some cases, you got your own bedroom. If not, maybe one day. But we're so blessed we have food before us. A lot of the world doesn't have so many of the blessings we have. And so recognize the resources God has given us. He's given us so much. And it's not just our home. It's just the, the cars we have and other things that God has allowed us to have. Recognize your resources. Number two, we need to engage with opportunities. We have an, a unique opportunity coming up as a church with a new facility. That's a great opportunity God has given us, a great time in our life. And I know the elders and I have a unified conviction. We've revisited over and over to make sure that we're still unified and without any hesitation. Uh, the elders are convinced, convinced this is what God is leading us to do. As a matter of fact, the uh, majority of our elders met with another group of people this week, and it kind of really became confirmed again by something they said to us. And so it was really neat. But whether it's at a corporate level or an individual level, we need to really engage with opportunities provided us. One time there was a, a basketball team, a young uh, high school basketball team, and, and uh, there was a group of parents, or I shouldn't say group, a, a, a parents of one of the players. And uh, one of the other players came home to their parents and said, hey, this, this other player, Chad, his gym shoes are falling apart. And I, and I just got the wrong size for him. And, and I asked him what's going on. And he said, we just don't have the money to get him any gym shoes. Well, they came up with a plan. And the son, son was supposed to go sneak a peek at the size. And so the parents went, here's an opportunity. And they bought him some gym shoes. But not just gym. They brought him nice, nice gym shoes. Seems simple, doesn't it? What happened? They seized an opportunity. That's how you live a generous lifestyle. We need to engage with opportunities, whether it's a new facility or whether it's something simple as gym shoes. And number three, this one is similar to two, but it's kind of a call to us right now, right here. We need to embrace this moment right here. The moment we have before us as the church. Might we see what you think is reasons not to be generous or not to give, but 
Hope this morning you can stop and step back and say, Lord, I give you a clean slate. This is what we do. We call you and call each of us as a church to say, God, how do you want me to be a part of this in this moment right now? To give, to embrace this moment, to be generous. Embrace this moment for an opportunity to serve that's before you that maybe you hadn't thought about. So you and I can serve and we can give and we can be generous for the glory of our great God. Let's pray. Lord, I look out and see among my brothers and sisters an enthusiastic interest and responsiveness to your word. That encourages me, God. I'm so grateful for that. Lord, I, I think you are doing something in us and through us, which is a God thing. There's no explanation for the way you're working right now. And I thank you for that. I pray you continue in our life to develop this lifestyle that's been modeled for us. Lord, a lifestyle first that's really ultimately modeled in you and the way you've interacted with humanity. You are a generous God. You are a gracious God. And we praise you for that. Might we follow your example. Might we follow the example of the Israelites. And to have willing hearts, God, responsive hearts, cheerful hearts. Lord, a deep, abiding faith as we respond to you. Help the, each of us, Lord, to have this clean slate and allow you to stir our hearts on a regular basis. To move within us, to lead us towards opportunities that we can seize. Thank you for that, Lord. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.